We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. These are the words of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So as we continue with our uh, sermon series on the attributes of God, talking about the ways in which we are created in His image, God is this way, and we were created this way in, uh, in such a way to reflect um, these attributes, today we're going to be talking about His wisdom. Now, if the Bible talks, uh, teaches us anything about God, it's that He is wise. In Job chapter 12, verse 13 says, With God our wisdom and might, He has counsel and understanding. When it says there, he has counsel and understanding, it's a, it's a possessive, uh, the, the words there imply possessiveness, that they, these things belong to him. It's not just that he has them, it's that they belong to him. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. God is infinitely wise. In Psalm 147, verse 5, says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. I don't know what that's like. I never will. Nobody does. They've made movies about this kind of thing. Uh, They've written books about this kind of thing. But the fact of the matter is, only God knows this. Only God possesses this. Isaiah 55, again, tells us that his... Uh, Wisdom is vastly superior to our wisdom and our understanding. Again, in verse uh, 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. God's saying, here's your level of understanding. Here is the way that you think, and here is mine. As high as the heavens are above the earth. And again, uh, Isaiah, the guy that wrote this, this was thousands and thousands of years ago, before the Hubble telescope, before they knew that the earth was round. Their understanding of the heavens, uh, when they said the heavens, was so much more vast even than how we view it. Now, we can look through the Hubble telescope and we can see uh, galaxies and galaxies and galaxies and galaxies So our view of the galaxy has grown as our vision of the galaxy has grown. So this statement means the same thing to us. It's not like, oh, they were saying like it was really big, but now we know it's not that big. No, it's bigger than they thought it was. And God is saying, that is how much higher my understanding, that's how much higher my wisdom is than yours. James uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, this is... uh, has become a favorite passage of mine. Who is wise and understanding among you? I want us to understand what is it that James is trying to say here. He asks the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works with the meekness of wisdom. Now, I used to think that James was kind of being um, passive-aggressive here and a little bit sarcastic. Like, "Who, who among you is wise? Come let him show his his works with the meekness of wisdom. But I really think that this is a legitimate invitation. He's saying, 
Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He's making a statement about what, what wisdom looks like. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false about the truth. He's saying, don't claim to be wise if you have these things in your heart. If you have these things in your heart, if this is the way that you live life, don't claim to be wise because you're obviously not because this is what wisdom looks like. He says in verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Those are strong words. I don't know if you picked up on that. Those are strong words. He just said, if that's what your wisdom looks like, um, it's earthly. Okay, I can get that. I can get with that, right? Unspiritual. And then he goes one further. It's demonic. Those are strong words. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. True. Right? Look at the world around us. That's very, very true. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So James is saying there's a difference between God's wisdom, the wisdom from above, and earthly wisdom. He talks about strife, jealousy, selfish ambition is supported and is involved in earthly wisdom, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Wisdom is not difficult to spot. It's not hard to spot. That's what James just said. But it is extremely different then we often assume it is. We see certain things, the world elevates certain traits and celebrates them as wisdom, and James is going, nope, it's the opposite. It's actually more wise to to be peaceable than it is to be right and to get your point across and convince people of how smart you are. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is sincere, full of mercy, open to reason. It's not difficult to spot, but it is difficult to attain. It's not difficult to spot, but it is difficult to attain. The Bible tells us that God is the source of wisdom, the wisdom from above, right? It's His. We already saw that it belongs to Him. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Well, actually, I gain understanding through the use of my brain. Where would you get that brain? Right? I mean, he is the source of all knowledge, all wisdom, all understanding. It all comes from him. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. It belongs to him. We only get it if he gives it to us. James 1, 5, again. If, if any of you lack wisdom, let him... Ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God is the source of all wisdom. So if we're going to talk about wisdom, um, 
But if we're talking about God's wisdom, we have to understand what it is, right? We just saw some traits of it. Uh, but as the Bible talks about wisdom, it kind of refers to three different terms. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Now, sometimes it seems like the Bible is using those terms interchangeably. Uh, but for the most part, we can kind of separate them as we go down through the biblical passage that use those different terms, and we can separate them into three groups. Knowledge is facts, right? I know a lot of people that know a lot of facts that don't have any knowledge, right? It's called trivia. And we don't even need it anymore because we have iPhones. What was that guy's name? What was that actor's name that was in that one movie? Remember back in the day when it was like three days later, you'd call your buddy and be like, it finally came to me. Nope, we just look it up now, right? We all have access to all this information. It's not making us wiser. If anything, it might be doing the opposite. It just makes us think we're really smart because we have all the answers, but we don't have wisdom. Understanding is the ability to translate meaning from those facts, Okay, so there's, a, there's another layer to it. We can take these facts and we can understand some meaning and we can kind of move them around and, and understand kind of how things work. Wisdom is knowing what to do next given an understanding of facts and circumstances. It's knowing how to live and act in every circumstance according to the traits that we just saw in James chapter 3. And that, I think you'll agree with me, is rare. It's rare. I see a lot of strife. I see a lot of selfish ambition in my own heart and the lives of the people around me. I don't see a lot of wisdom in the world around me. Now, as I look at the, about the, around this room, I see a lot of it. I'm not going to lie. And I'm not trying to just puff you guys up and say, oh, yeah, that's the world, but we got this, right? That's not what I'm trying to say. But as we get to know people, we see some of these things. We see the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives. As they humble themselves before God, I'm getting ahead of myself now, we see the fruit of wisdom. We see the, the roots of wisdom growing in people's lives. And as I look around this room, I see it. And it's a beautiful thing. Understanding without wisdom can appear contradictory. Understanding, knowledge and understanding without wisdom can appear contradictory. This is a huge part of what it means when the Bible says that the cross is folly to those that are perishing. They look at us, they look at Christians, they look at what we believe and they go, it doesn't make sense, they're a bunch of wackos. Knowledge and understanding without wisdom can appear contradictory. It can, it can appear crazy, in a sense. Now, here's kind of what we mean by that. Uh, the statement, he who hesitates is lost. Anybody ever heard that before? Is that true? Is that, a, is that true as a proverb? Yes, it's true. But also is the statement, haste makes waste. So which is it? This is a good illustration, Right? Knowledge and understanding without wisdom can appear contradictory. These statements on the surface are contradictory. One says wait, one says hurry up. But wisdom looks at those two statements and goes, there are an appropriate time for either. And wisdom is knowing when and which to use. They're not contradictory. 
We just have to understand them according to wisdom. Charles Spurgeon once wrote that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are, and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. Let me read that again so it makes sense to me. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Now, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, uh, some of you women are going to now accuse me of stealing Shannon's notes from your women's retreat because that's what she talked about. I didn't, I swear. I was going to, and then I got started and kind of went in a different direction. But if we're going to talk about wisdom as humans, we have to address this. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if that's where it starts, right? That's the beginning. If we're going to take the Bible's word for it, which I am, if, if that's where we're going to start, we have to understand what does that mean. And I'm going to say this, I think it means what it says it means. It means that if we don't fear God, we can never gain wisdom. What does it mean to fear God? It means to fear God. That means that He's the creator of the universe. And I am, according to the Bible, but dust. Not but dust, but dust. They're two very different meanings. We have to be very careful. We are but dust. Sorry, I, that wasn't in my notes. Parents, I apologize. Semi, yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> see, stick to the notes, Sam. Stick to the notes. We'll edit that out of the podcast, I promise. No, we won't. Let, let me read another psalm, and so I think that we'll get a little bit closer to the heart of what that means. Uh, psalm 90. Verse 12 says, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so we may get a heart of wisdom. What does that mean to number your days? My wife and I watched a documentary last night about uh, a lady, one of her heroes. Her name's Kara Tippett's um, wife of a church planner in Colorado who uh, had stage four cancer and was very, lived a very public uh, life of suffering through her cancer and then died. And as we watched this documentary, I kept thinking about this verse because I had just been preparing this. Teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. And listening to the heart and the voice of, of a woman who's dying as she's laying in the bed with her kids, kissing them, talking to them. And I thought, that looks different than most of the ways that we live our lives. Why? Because her days have been numbered. And it's changing the way she lives. Psalm 90 is saying, number your days so that you may get a heart of wisdom. You are not in control of when you die. You are not in control of when you die. 
you are not in control of when your children die. This should produce in us an attitude of humility. This should produce in us a reverence and ultimately a fear of the one who is in control of those things. Our time on this earth, our time in this life is limited. Every one of us. We should live life that way. Here's another way of saying it. Fearing God means that fearing to seek means fearing to seek refuge and joy and hope anywhere other than him, knowing that he is the source of all those things. And knowing that outside of him what we get is a mouthful of ash. The fear of the Lord, therefore, is the beginning of wisdom because of what it requires our heart to do in order to get there. Does that make sense? In order to get to this idea, this place where we fear the Lord, where we number our days because we are not in control and ultimately we know that He is in control, the only way to get to that place is a heart of humility, is a heart of meekness. And if we don't have any fear in us about our impending end and the one who is sovereign over that impending end, then it reveals in us a level of pride that will prevent us from having godly wisdom. I hope this is starting to make sense. We have to come before him. As James in James chapter 1 says, ask, ask for wisdom. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us this week prayed and specifically asked God for wisdom? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. <laughs> you can raise your hand, though. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad. But is that a central part of our life? Are we seeking wisdom in the right sources? We're in the right source. We only get it one place, and we only get it one way. I didn't make the rules. He does. Proverbs 11, verse 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. All the attributes of wisdom that we read in James chapter 3, it all wraps around this idea of a humble heart. Or we can have knowledge and understanding and be really smart and really knowledgeable and be impressive and not have any wisdom. We can get those things on Wikipedia. And they change constantly. I'm not sure if you noticed that. But this never changes. It never changes. Matthew chapter 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. What's the rock? The gospel. God's teachings. Jesus. It's wise to understand that this is the thing that does not move. So this is where I'm going to build my house. This is where I'm going to dwell. 
This is where I'm going to spend every ounce of my breath and every ounce of my blood and everything that I have in me. This is where I'm going to spend it because this is the thing that doesn't change. So this is the thing that I can depend on. Everything else is sand. I was going to read Proverbs 1. For time's sake, I'm not because it's four and a half pages. But if we really want to understand what this looks like, I would, I would invite you to not only read Proverbs chapter 1, the entire thing, but dwell on it, study it, meditate on it. See how it speaks to you. See how it changes you. So here's the thing. Everybody wants to be happy. You want to be happy. I want to be happy. You might say that that's the, the end uh, to, to the, the end of all of our means is that, right? As we look around in the world, the end of all of our means, uh, even suicide is seeking happiness. We're searching for something that we can't find. And every time we think we have found it, it slips through our fingers, doesn't it? We see this over and over and over in our lives. That new car becomes a used car, which becomes a clunker. Everything that we possess goes from new to used to old. Everything. Even our bodies. Right? I'm teetering on used to old. I'm telling you. Some of you older people are like, yeah, you have no idea. Just wait. I believe you. I believe you. Right? Teach me a heart of humility so that I may gain wisdom. Everything, except for this. Which this? Jesus. Everything. He is the only true source of joy, the only true source of lasting and eternal happiness. The only one. Now, it gets a little bit tricky. Mark chapter 8 says that if any man, this is Jesus, right? Jesus talking, says if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. There's a lot of wisdom there. But again, it seems contrary to everything that we see in the world around us. Wait, so you're saying the way I gain happiness is by sacrificing? Now, this would be a perfect time to put in a plug for May 19th. But I'm not going to do it. So you're saying, Jesus, that how I gain joy is by self-sacrifice. How do I gain joy is by giving joy. Yes. Not by grasping for it. Right? Remember what we talked about in James chapter 3? No, we talked about what James talked about in, in chapter 3. Selfish ambition. That is how we search for joy. Selfish ambition. Whether it's possessions, status, all of these things, we're grasping for something that we cannot take. It can only be given.
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, talking of Jesus, says, Who for the joy before him endured the cross. Easter's next weekend. I want us to think about this this week. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You want to know why Jesus went to the cross? Because he looked through the cross and saw joy, ultimate joy for you and for me. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We want joy. We want happiness. The only way to find true and lasting joy and happiness is to gain a heart of wisdom, understanding where we're actually going to find it. These two things go hand in hand. And the more I studied this week, the more I thought I cannot speak about the wisdom of God and us reflecting the wisdom of God as people, humans who are created in His image without talking about this idea of joy. Because that's what we're really trying to gain. Most of us don't go through life going, man, I just really want more wisdom. More wisdom. We're trying to be happy. That's why we like to eat food that tastes good to us. It's why we're willing to sacrifice some of that food to to trim our waistlines, right? Because we think that if we have a trimmer waistline, that it's going to bring us more joy, whether through some the you know the compliments that get we get from other people or uh, being able to live longer, whatever that is, we're seeking for joy. We're looking for it, sometimes in opposite ways. But we're all seeking for this. Wisdom is understanding where we're going to find it. Romans 8. I do not consider the sufferings of this present time, uh, the sufferings of this present time, Paul says, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm willing to go through hell because of what I know is coming. That's wisdom. Proverbs 4 tells us that we should get wisdom, get insight. These are, these are the things that we should, be, we should be pursuing. Proverbs chapter 3, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gets understanding. Wisdom brings us joy. It's interesting, in, the, in Proverbs chapter 1 and all throughout the book of Proverbs, um, the Bible almost personifies wisdom, doesn't it? It talks about wisdom as a, as a woman standing in the street corner. And the cool thing about Proverbs chapter 1 is it, is it differentiates between wisdom and the opposite. It says, fools do these things, these things, these things, these things. And all the things that are described in Romans 1 that fools do are all done in secret at night. And then it describes wisdom as standing at the street corner, calling to all. There's a vast difference there. Proverbs 24, my son, eat honey for it is good and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Wisdom is where we find true, lasting, eternal happiness. He says it's it's like honey dripping off honeycomb. Anybody ever eaten honey off of honeycomb before? It's good. It's awesome. If you can get the bees off. Proverbs chapter 8. I know I'm in Proverbs a lot. And now, my sons, listen to me. Happy are those who keep my ways. 
Happy is the man who listens to me, who's speaking. Wisdom is speaking. Watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who misses me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Proverbs 16, to get wisdom is better than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. He's saying it's more valuable than silver or gold. Gaining wisdom is more valuable than anything else. Proverbs 15, folly is a joy to him who has no sense. Wait, what? Folly is a joy to him who has no sense. I thought you said joy was found in wisdom. I said that that lasting and eternal joy is found in wisdom. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy living a life leading to death. Our world is full of that. And Proverbs says, folly is a joy to him who has no sense. And just, again, so that we don't take a us versus them mentality. Folly is a joy to him who has no sense. If we're honest, if I'm honest, I find a lot of joy in folly sometimes. I enjoy it. And you're like, Sam, what's folly? That's a weird word. Your name here, I don't know. Like insert whatever those, that thing, those things are. And it's not even like it's not even necessarily things that are bad. But if we don't have wisdom and we're looking for joy in all these other places, it's folly. It's foolishness. It doesn't get us anywhere. Our thirst for happiness is insatiable outside of Jesus. It will continue and continue and continue and continue and continue. We need a heart of humility to understand that He is God and we are not. And that He is the source of all true wisdom and He is the source of all true joy. And so when He asks us to do things, when He asks us to pick up our cross and carry Him, He's doing so, number one, because he already did for us, right? And because he did, we can as well. He's not asking us to do something that we're unable to do, but he's also asking us to do something that will bring us ultimate, lasting, and eternal happiness. what the Bible teaches. Clearly. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. So we're here today. We gather here on Sundays hopefully because we believe what the Bible says. Or at least entertaining the possibility of believing what the Bible says. I'm pleading with you. 
I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with myself, right? Humility is so difficult. Anybody married? Humility is so difficult. But when I read those words in James chapter 3, and when I hear that, that, that wisdom is gracious, peaceable, reasonable, merciful, I go, yeah, it's true. That is wise. And man, I want that. My prayer for us today is that we would reflect the character of God in wisdom. As we live our lives, as we parent our kids, as we interact with our husbands, our wives, that our hearts would be characterized by wisdom. I want us to think about things that we don't normally think about. Not because we're gaining in insight or gaining in knowledge, but because the Holy Spirit is working in us and giving us wisdom. Ask Him for it. Ask Him for it. But don't ask Him for it blindly. Ask Him for it knowing what's coming. Because sometimes, right, kind of like patience. We talked about patience last week. We ask for patience and and. Typically, for me, like, I don't know if, like, anybody out there, like, ask God for patience and then we're just given supernatural patience, right? Like a superpower? That's not how it works for me. I ask for patience and then what happens? My kids act up, right? The guy in front of me drives 35 and a 55. God's giving me an opportunity to submit myself to his timing, to his wisdom, to gain patience. So if we're going to ask for wisdom, if we're going to ask for a heart of humility, if we're going to ask that God give us the fear of the Lord, I want us to be very clear. I'm not trying to trick you here. You're not asking for something that's easy. But you're asking for something that's eternal. You're asking for something that is better than anything else. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, we come before you today asking for a heart of humility. Give us your wisdom, Lord. We declare to you that we have no other place to find it. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Open our hearts, Lord Jesus, as only you can do. We pray all these things in your name, amen.